I was taught a little trick in seminary uh, when I had to read about five books a week. Don't worry about reading everything. Uh, If you're really crunching down, just read the first and last sentence of every paragraph, particularly the last. Everything can be summed up in the last sentence. Um, And it was truly a lifesaver. We see in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, really any story that we might come across or any work of text, that the important things are usually wrapped up uh, at the very end. It's a way for us to kind of keep track, uh, keep focus, and not forget what it is that we have just encountered and experienced. So for Paul, as we're getting to the end of 1 Corinthians, when we get to chapter 15, Paul kind of comes back full circle, talking about what he brought up at the beginning And now making sure that we remember and know what is most important. Because for Paul, the gospel, the good news, really revolves around Christ's death and resurrection. Now, there are some things in between, but for Paul, that is paramount. That is what is kind of that last sentence, certainly in spirit for Paul. Christ died for the sins of the world, rose from the dead, and prepares a place for the world and everyone in it, including Paul himself. He puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 15. The first thing I did was place before you what was placed so emphatically before me, that the Messiah died for our sins, exactly as Scripture tells it, that he was buried, that he was raised from the dead on the third day, Again, exactly as scripture says that he presented himself alive to Peter, then to his closest followers, and then later to more than 500 of his followers all at the same time. That he then spent time with James and the rest of those he commissioned to represent him and that he finally presented himself alive to me. It was fitting that I bring up the rear I don't deserve to be included in that inner circle, as you well know, having spent all those early years trying my best to stamp God's church right out of existence. Paul wants the church of Corinth, the people, to kind of get back to the basics. Things have gotten complicated as they have grown, as they have spread out, um, as typically happens. You know, we always start with the best of intentions. When we start small, we have this clear vision, vision, this firm intention, and then somewhere along the way, it gets complicated. You know, we start bringing up uh, new people, and then you, of course, have new ideas and new contributions, and almost like a snowball or maybe lint, whatever metaphor you want to use, Things get piled up, and at some point, you have to kind of dust it off. And we've probably all been there. We've tried this, and we know how frustrating it can be. It's kind of like what George Costanza once said. You know, when you write in an audience, everybody has their own little ideas and their own little contributions. Everything gets homogenized, and you lose the whole edge of it. As United Methodists, we might know uh, exactly what this means because we kind of have some of the longest mission statements ever. Because when everyone gets into that committee, everybody has to have their own ideas and uh, it gets pretty big. Now, part of that is we don't want to be a bumper sticker kind of church, right? Our theology is much uh, deeper and it's much more expansive than just what you can put on a bumper. At the same time, you want a mission statement that's not going to cover the entire car. So what is that? Uh, what is that great middle? And of course, that's part of what it means to be inclusive. 
Because when you're including people, you're including their ideas, you're including their perspective, you're including their contribution, and you want to make sure that all voices can be heard. There are ways to be inclusive and streamlined. And above all of them, it just takes work. It takes commitment. It takes listening and hearing, and it takes going over again and again and again. And of course, the priority is not to forget. To not forget the people, but also to not forget the purpose. To not get bogged down by all of those details and hold on to what that firm foundation is. Because it is easy to get lost in the details. It gets easy to get lost in everything that's added and almost uh, you forget even why you're there in the first place. You might think, well, what's the point of all of this? Or we might think that we've actually succeeded. You know, here's this great statement and done is done. We're all finished. We can move on to the next thing because we've thought that we have arrived, which might be uh, the worst version of all to think that there's nowhere else for us to go, that we don't need to grow. We don't need to change. We don't need to improve anymore. In the very first uh, chapter of Mark's gospel, the very first gospel uh, that we have Jesus is going from place to place. He's taking his disciples along with him and they are healing. They're performing miracles. It's great. It's fantastic. The the disciples are so excited, so excited that they don't notice that Jesus has left. And so they, they search for him at night. They give up. They go to sleep. They wake up and they see that Jesus is still gone. And so when they finally do find him, they say, Master, Master, everyone's been searching for you. And Jesus says, it's time for us to leave. Now, they've not finished this mission of of healing and performing miracles, but Jesus says it's time to go. It's time to leave to proclaim the message somewhere else, because that is why I'm here. Jesus keeps moving, especially in those times when we think we have arrived, that we've reached our destination, that we've reached our purpose, that there's nothing more to do except just continue to do what we've been doing. But Jesus continually reminds us we need to keep moving forward. The Jesus Christ who Paul encounters is a post-resurrected one. You know, Paul tells the story about how he was persecuting uh, the people of the church, the people who were worshiping God, the people of the Jewish community, until one day he was blinded by a white light, by a bright light, and he hears God's voice saying, why are you persecuting me? And in the midst of this, he goes through a transformation, and he realizes he has more to do. He has room to grow. He has a massive transformation he has to go through. And in the midst of that, he also experiences God's grace and forgiveness. He experiences the invitation given by Jesus Christ to move forward. And so these words from 1 Corinthians that Paul utters, that Paul writes, these words, for many of us, we may recognize them as liturgies to our creeds. For some of us, this is the foundation of our faith. But we even go forward because it's important for us to remember that those four Gospels that we have, Mark, Matthew, Luke, and John, all of these are written after Paul's letters. When we know this, it's important to see how our Gospels focus on the life of Jesus here on earth. How Jesus interacted with humanity. How Jesus experienced humanity. How he taught. 
how he lived, how he taught and how he lived, that the kingdom of God is here. This, too, becomes a firm foundation of our faith and who we are as disciples. Because as important as it is for us to know and to remember that Jesus died for us, it is also just as important to know and to remember that Jesus lived for us. That Jesus gives us a foundation for living by living. And saying, inviting, follow me. Do this, do this, and you will live. A firm foundation of first importance is that life and that grace that God, that God grants because of who God is. And so for us, we are able to see God. We are able to see the one who bestows, who gives, who graces life and grace because of Jesus Christ. God graces us with life. And with that life, Jesus shows us how to use it and why. Paul continues, because God was so gracious, so very generous Here I am, and I'm not about to let God's grace go to waste. Haven't I worked hard trying to do more than any of the others? But even then, my work did not amount to all that much. It was God giving me the work to do, giving me the energy to do it. So whether you heard it from me or from those others, it is all the same. We spoke God's truth, and you entrusted your lives. As your pastors, we remain deeply honored and grateful that we are able to be your pastors, that you have entrusted your lives to the ministries and the foundation that is First United Methodist Church of Lakeland, and that we get to be a part of that, that we get to be a part of whatever this new season, this new foundation is being built upon, a foundation which started nearly 140 years ago. In a time, as Jeremy pointed out, when many United Methodist churches are talking about, questioning, focusing on disaffiliation um, and the heartbreak that is coming through that, whether or not to stay UMC, our congregation chooses to remain who we are. And not just who we have been, but who we are going to be, who God continues to call us to be. Because that doesn't mean that staying United Methodist, it doesn't mean that we don't have room to grow. It doesn't mean that we don't have room to change. It doesn't mean that we don't have room to improve. Because we are certainly not perfect just because we're staying United Methodist. It doesn't mean that we have it altogether. But in some ways, I wonder if that's one of the reasons that we have chosen to stay and that in many ways we are in a very healthy place, that we have tried to not paint ourselves as a perfect church. It's really quite the opposite, much like what Paul is saying about himself in this letter, that yes, I've achieved all of this, but it's not because of me and it's certainly not because I'm perfect. It's actually because I've been struggling And I've seen how it is that God still forgives and graces and asks me to continue to move forward. 
Because really, when it comes down to it, we are a bunch of people trying to do the best that we can in the ways that God has called us to serve and to lead, while at times being transparent about our limitations, about our concerns, and at sometimes even our failures, our worries, our doubts, our fears. Personally, I don't know what the future is going to bring. But I do know that there is nowhere else that I would want to find out than here. And no one else that I would like to do this alongside than all of you. Because again, as one of your pastors, one of the joys and the blessing is that we, I, get to do this alongside all of you. As Paul writes, it is God giving us the work to do and the energy to do it. God has given us a foundation to work with, and we get to see where it's going. So in this season that we are in now, in the season that is coming upon us that we will get to see, I think we should move forward with more excitement than fear, more encouragement than apathy, and even the willingness to embrace the uncertain which is something I've not only heard, but I've also experienced here in this congregation many, many times. If we continue to live in those foundations, if we continue to see and to lift up each other as people created in God's image because of God's love and grace and life, if we continue to live into those foundations, we'll be okay. The table, celebration of new members, the songs, everything that we are a part of, it is not just for us to receive. It is not just for us to take in. As Paul writes, it is the energy that we are given by God to do the work that God has called us to do. Just because it was nearly 140 years ago that this church started does not mean that we just simply take what was already given and just keep it for ourselves. We are part of that foundation as well. You are part of this foundation and we are given the strength to do what it is that God has called us to do in this season to continue that foundation. So in this celebration, may we go continuing to be a part of God's world and offering that great story of love, forgiveness, redemption, new beginnings. Let us go and do the work that God has called us to do and may we go in peace. Amen.